Hey, thank you so much, uh, Kurt, and it's been great to know you all these years, and we've kept in contact and uh, seeing each other at least once a year, usually, and uh, have had other contacts through the years. It's great to be with you, with you. Uh, and really fine to know you people. I was telling uh, Kurt as we drove over here how I appreciated already, just after last night, the kind of character of the, of the congregation here, lack of pretense, uh, you know, no pretense, just a humble uh, way about you. I actually really value that. So thank you so much for making an impression on my life uh, by being with you last night. We had a good time last night, didn't we? Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles, please, and let's turn to Mark chapter 4. All right, Mark chapter 4. We've already read some of this great passage, Mark chapter 4. We will look at it, of course, very carefully. Uh, in, this, in this great chapter, there, are, there is a use by Jesus as the pastor, as your pastor mentioned. There's a use by Jesus of a form of teaching called parables. And before we look into three parables that are given to us about the advance of the kingdom of God, that's our subject anyway, isn't it? We're thinking about gospel impact, and uh, this bears strongly on our gospel impact But as we uh, consider these three parables, I think it's a good idea for us to take just a moment to talk about this form that Jesus uses called a parable. And what is the purpose of a parable? A parable, of course, for those of you who've read your Bible for many years, is a story usually about something very common to people, like agriculture, let's say, as is the case here. In fact, all three of these parables have the concept of seed and sower and soil. All three, all three of these parables are, have that connection, though the seed means something different in at least one of these uh, parables. It is, a, it is an illustration of just what I'm saying. It's an agricultural theme, something everybody knew about in that agrarian society. And then it is kind of a metaphor. It's, a, it's like something. Uh, often, often Jesus would begin his parables with something like, the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's going to use this common idea that everybody understands to talk about something different, to illustrate something different, and it has deep meaning to it. Now, I want you to look in the text. Let's just take a little dive into the text to find out about parables uh, uh, first. Let's go to verses 10 through 12, 10 through 12 of Mark chapter 4, and listen to what Jesus says about the purpose of parables. He says in verse 10, as soon as he was alone, this is after telling the parable of the soils, as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you it has been given the mystery, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, or the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, uh, they get everything in parables. So that, here's a purpose clause, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. 
Now, is that a surprising thing to you? Because when we, when we think of a parable, a little story, we think of the idea of, uh, let's say, a sermon illustration, something that is given to shed some light on a great truth. However, Jesus is saying something quite opposite of that here, isn't he? He's saying, yes, you disciples, you people, and you who are followers close to me here, uh, to you it's been given to know the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But I speak to the rest of the people, those who are on the outside, uh, by parables. In fact, it says here in this text that he, this is the only way he was talking to them, in parables at this particular time. And the reason was, it was so that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not hear, lest they uh, understand and return and be forgiven. What an amazing thing. Jesus is saying that parables are in a way to, I'll give you a big word here, it's in a way to obfuscate the truth, or to make it less clear, or to hide the truth in a certain way. It is, so to speak, as we will see, like putting a bushel over a lamp. It is not easily understood by the masses of people, those who are on the outside, and that's the reason that he chose to use that. This actually has a background. It has a history. It goes way back to the time of Isaiah when there was a vision of, to Isaiah of uh, the throne room. You remember that vision, the great vision in Isaiah chapter 6? pivotal place in the, in the uh, book of Isaiah. That was a vision of Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. It, we are taught in John chapter 12. It was actually, Isaiah was encountering the pre-incarnate Christ. There was an exchange. And this is where Isaiah was sent out to, to do his work, to be a prophet. And the very passage that is mentioned here in verse 12 is given to us actually there. He is going to go to the Israelites, to the people of Israel, and he's going to preach to them, but they're not going to hear. He's going to tell them about the truth, but they're not going to listen. And this very statement is made, lest they return and be forgiven. Now, of course, in Isaiah, if you're tracking with me, we know there is such a thing as a remnant, and some people do understand but Isaiah was to go out and do what most prophets did, just not be heard. Uh, they would give the message. They would be persecuted. Jesus said they persecuted all the prophets before, uh, before him. And they would say their message and they would not listen and people would reject that message for the most part. Except for that special remnant of people. So Jesus has given us some very, very fascinating information here in this text of Scripture, that he's telling these stories in a way to hide the truth. Though truth, kingdom truth, is certainly to be known by a special group of people. All right, are you with me so far? There's the purpose of parables given to us in his own words in verses 10 through 12, very very clear in my estimation. Now let me also, by way of introduction, before we look at these three parables, talk to you about uh, proximity. The word proximity means um, it has to do with how close you are. 
And I'm talking about physical proximity because this repeated idea shows up in this text and also in what leads ramps up to the text that we're going to read. So I think it's very, very significant. So I want to show this to you, all right? So let's go to the chapter before in Mark chapter 3. Look with me at verses 20 through 23 of Mark chapter 3. Verse 20, and he came home. That is, of course, uh, Nazareth. And he came home, and the crowd, or, yeah, a crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people, we take that to be his family, perhaps his extended family in the small town of Nazareth, When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him. For they were saying, he has lost his senses. Now think of what's happening here. His own people, maybe the townspeople, maybe including his extended family in this little town in Nazareth, are listening to Jesus. A crowd's gathering around Jesus. This was something they weren't accustomed to when he grew up in Nazareth. And now these people are just gathering around him, and they have the perception that the townspeople, at least, and perhaps his family at this point, and their, his brothers and, and sister, perhaps have the same idea, that he's just lost his sen- senses. So they've come in to kind of rescue him as a person who's kind of losing his mind a little bit in some way, and they're trying to rescue him out of the situation of the crowd, lest he say something that's absolutely insane. Okay? Get the idea? And it says then, verse 22, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, so people had followed all the way from many miles south from Jerusalem to actually be in this crowd. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem, you always come down from Jerusalem, even though it's up north, were saying He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he cast out the demons by the ruler of demons. Wow. So, in other words, are you getting this this kind of picture of what's happening here while he's in his hometown? The townspeople and his own family are distrustful of the kind of things that are happening, and they want to kind of rescue him out of that. And then the scribes and the Pharisees who'd come a long ways in the crowd, they were accusing him of being in league with the devil and casting out demons by Beelzebul himself, which is a huge accusation when you think about it. So get that in your mind. Keep that in your mind as we come to this section on parables. Let's look also at verses, chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. 31 through 35. So please look with me. Then his mother and his brothers arrived and standing outside, note the word outside, standing outside, they sent word to him and they called him. It's a little bit later. And a, crowd was, and a crowd was sitting around him. All right, so you've got these people outside, and you had 
a crowd around him. And they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, do you notice the proximity here of these two sets of people this time? His family is on the outside, not in the close circle of people, not gathering close around Jesus Christ in order to hear what he has to say, but they're on the outside. And yet there is a group of people who have hovered very close to Jesus Christ. Among them would be the disciples and some other people in that larger uh, crowd who get as close as they possibly can to Jesus Christ. There's a language of physical proximity that tells something about the heart, what's going on in the hearts of people at this particular juncture. Are you thinking? Okay, let's see it again, okay? Let's go on down in our text in Mark chapter 4. We see in, in verse 10 of chapter 4, back to that passage we read a moment ago. As soon as he was alone, his followers, which could be interpreted, could be uh, translated, those about him, those around him, okay, there's that proximity thing again. As soon as he was alone, those around him, along with the twelve, so it's not just the, not just the original apostles, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you it has been given, it has been given the mystery, the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those who are what? What, is it, what does it say? You can speak to me. All right. Outside, those who are outside, they get everything in parables. So that while seeing they may not see and perceive, while hearing they may not hear nor understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. Okay, so at least there are these three places where you have this idea of physical proximity indicating, it appears to indicate something of the current state of the heart as it relates to the things Jesus Christ is saying. For those who are close in, get special attention by Jesus, and will understand things in a very, very different way, getting straightforward explanations from Christ about kingdom truths. They have a very special, privileged relationship, hovering close to Jesus Christ. Close enough to hear and perhaps Jesus was even speaking in soft tones and explaining these things to them. Now all that is background for these wonderful parables that are given us. And I take these parables to say something about our subject over this weekend. And that is uh, the advance of the gospel, the kingdom of God advancing in the world. And our part in played in that. So let's look at these three parables. 
Is everybody ready? Let's look at the first one. The first one is the parable, we call it sometimes the parable of the soils. And it deals with four kinds of soils. Let me just read it for you again, beginning in verse, uh, in verse 3. Listen to this, he says. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed f- fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell on the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And it, and he was saying, he was saying, listen to this, it's important. He was saying, he who has ears to hear, he's speaking here of a category of people. He who has ears to hear, is that you? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus, down in the verses following, will explain this parable to those who are close. He explains that the seed is the word or the message of the kingdom, the gospel. He describes how the first soil, the the persons are the soils. How does the soil in this kingdom world that he's building, how does the message of the kingdom impact hearers when it is put out? And and this experience, if you're with me, was not just uh, telling uh, instruction, it was also an object lesson because he was just living this out right in front of them, right with that crowd that was on the outside and inside. This was going on right before his disciples. He was really teaching them here. So this gospel message glances off some people. It's like hard soil, and it does not penetrate them at all. They forget about it. The birds of the air, which are the demons, they actually take it away. Uh, They have no real understanding whatsoever. That's That's one thing that happens every time the gospel of the kingdom goes out. Remember that. That's going to be true for you as you share these things with other people. It happened for Jesus. It happened for Paul. It happened for Peter. It happened for John. This is the way. This is a kingdom reality. That as the kingdom, the message of the kingdom goes out, it does not penetrate in everybody's life who actually hears it. They hear, but they don't perceive. They, they don't really understand it. They see, but they don't really perceive it. Other people hear this gospel. They spring up with. Uh, uh, joy immediately, they kind of spring up, they receive it with joy. You think, man, we've got a real believer here. This person has really caught on to the gospel. But guess what? The soil, which is the person, is talking about the heart of the person, what God has prepared this heart to be. This heart of the person is rocky and it can't, it doesn't penetrate enough to actually be a viable plant. It looks like something like a Christian at first. But then you've seen them, haven't you? You've seen this many times, I'm sure. And they just 
they just cannot survive. They don't, they much less bear any fruit whatsoever. They can't even survive as a plant at all because their heart is stony. It is a surface kind of person. They have a surface impression. They get excited about it in a surface way and they look like a Christian in the beginning, but they are not. The third soil is, is that thorny soil. Uh, you know, they're the ones that hear the word. They look like a Christian at first, but the worries of the world, he says in verse 19, and the deceitfulness of riches. Have you ever, have, could you describe anything that's more like the problems we have that, to distract us from God than these two things? Think about it. Just the deceitfulness of riches and the worries of the world. You're just involved. You've got so many things to do. Life is busy. You've got to run here, run there, do this, do that, do the other. Uh, hey, you've got to watch this program and you've got to keep the TV and be entertained all day. So, how you, you know, everything is just distracting you. So the, it's like those, that's like thorns. They kind of come up like vines and they wrap around that little bit of that person. I mean, that, that seed that was pl- hopefully planted in that person, but it just chokes it out and there's no viable plant there. You don't find any plant there. Just the thorns dominate. The last soil is the true Christian, where the gospel, they're the ones, they're the ones who have understanding. The gospel comes and it penetrates because it creates understanding in them. They comprehend what others do not comprehend and is hidden from them. They see it deeply and they're changed. And they bear fruit, which is an indication of the true believer or the true kingdom person who's received the kingdom message. Now think about your family. Some some 60-fold, they're not all even, the fruit's different. Some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. But they bear fruit. That's characteristic of a viable plant who is rooted by understanding in the things that have been said. Words are important in the kingdom. Words are important. He communicated to us. He made us creatures who understand language. And he spoke to us. He came to speak to us. They're words of eternal life. And he wrote to us so that we can think about words. And that creates understanding in our heart And that's the viable Christian. What about you? What about your family? What about your kids? What about your parents, your aunts, your uncles who profess to be Christians? How does this relate to them? Which kind of soil are they? This is a kingdom reality. This parable tells us something really, really important about the kingdom of God. It tells us this. Not everyone will understand the word that is sown. Some forgetting, some shallow in their understanding, some temporary But those who do hear, those who do hear and understand, bear exceptional fruit way beyond the investment that is made in them. Listen, this must be the case because we start with about 12 disciples and a handful of other people, and now look, there are millions of people. It is born fruit way beyond, even though. We throw out the seed of the gospel regularly. Your church, as well as our church, and you as individuals, we're throwing out the seed of the gospel regularly. Most people are rejecting. Most are rejecting one after another. They're rejecting. They don't understand. They don't get it. They cannot comprehend it really. 
It's hidden from them. They peer in sometimes from the outside, but they're not inside people. They don't get it. They don't get, have the understanding. And 99 times out of 100, it looks like a failure. It looks like the seed's not doing anything, but then all of a sudden, somebody's converted. And they produce fruit way beyond, making it all worth it, right, for, for what we do. And it obviously must be happening because of the growth, the advance of the kingdom. Amen? Okay, everybody's nodding now. You have to nod or I just keep talking and saying the same thing over and over again. Um, let's look at what he attaches to this first, this first parable, all right? Because he attaches another metaphor to it to help us understand. So he's going to clarify a bit more. Look at verse 21 through 25. This belongs connected to the first parable, okay? So 21 through 25, but it's a reinforcement about what he's been saying. Look at it. And he was saying to them, a lamp, different metaphor, is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden. He's been talking about hiddenness already. Nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. For what whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. Let me summarize what he's saying here to the best of my understanding. So think about it in light of the first parable that has been given. He is essentially saying this. Kingdom mysteries reveal like a lamp and should have the prominent place among us. That's what lamps are for. They're not to be... Typically, we don't just get a lamp, put it under a bushel, hide it under a bed. You might store lamps there, but you don't put it under a bushel. That's lamps have the purpose of revealing and showing and guiding. Secrets are meant to be known among certain people. And those who hear well will receive even more understanding. But if you do not hear well, what you have in terms of surface understanding will be taken away from you. <laughs> it's a, in, in, essence, in essence, what's happening here is this. The perp, it's obvious that kingdom truths, think about it with me, are meant to be significant in the lives of people. This is transformative. Kingdom truths make all the difference for people. That's, that is fundamental to the idea of a truth, right? It can be guiding and helpful and revealing. But, Jesus, but what's happening is people are on the outside. They're not listening carefully. 
right? And it is in essence what Jesus is doing, and I know this is a little confusing perhaps, but what Jesus is doing is he's, he's he, by parables, he's actually putting a basket over that lamp. It's like encrypted language, right, that takes a decoding in a sense, for certain people to really get it. But obviously the purpose of truth is to, is to change our lives, help us be what we ought to be in relationship to God. That's fundamental to truth, just the idea of truth. You with me? But Jesus says people are not listening. They don't listen well. If you were one of those who was on the inside, one of those who listened, one of those who drew up very close, you would hear things that would not only be equal to your efforts, you would get more than your efforts that you put into it. It would be measured to you beyond. You would just receive more and more understanding. But if you're just one of those people who's like some of those other soils who just sort of looks through a window at Christianity and kind of you're, you're on the outside just kind of observing, deciding whether you're going to take truth to be truth or not, does that make sense? Then don't expect that even, even your surface understanding, you might be able to repeat some gospel things back, and so even that surface understanding will be taken away from you. I remember, I, it's always amazed me that people don't get it, don't understand things in a way I should, but I shouldn't be amazed when I read things like this. Smart people don't get it. Smart people don't get it. You you'd go to a, I mean, you can go over here to any one of the big campuses. Go to Berkeley, okay? Go to Berkeley. Go to religion department at Berkeley, right? They don't understand kingdom truths. They might be an atheistic religion professor. So not, not uncommon at all. And they get through teaching uh, one day, and they go back into the teacher's lounge, and they put their feet up, light their cigarette up, sit there and talk to the, every, chat with everybody, the other professors that are coming in. And they say, you know, today I gave my, uh, I gave my teaching on the Reformed doctrine of justification by faith alone. And then he says something like this, you know, a person would have to be a fool to believe that. Am I supposed to think that that person understands the doctrine of justification by faith alone? No way. He can parrot some things back, but he doesn't understand. He's an outsider. He's an outsider. He's looking at it. He can see some things and repeat some things, but he is not an insider gaining understanding, or if he were, his life would be totally transformed. You get the difference? What's going? That's the very thing that's going on in this situation we have right here. One time I spoke. This will really impress you. One, no, it won't impress many people, but maybe a couple of people who are scientist type people. But I was asked one time. <laughs> it totally scared me to death. But I was asked one time to go into a major laboratory, Fermi Lab in Chicago, nuclear accelerator. They're trying to study the Big Bang. Got this mile long tube, you know. All this stuff is going on. The Nobel Prize winning scientist in there. They tried to gather a group of people who wanted to just ask questions about uh, Christianity. So there I was with about 30 scientists. I was scared to death. You know, I walked through. <laughs> anyway, it was a frightening experience. I actually did it twice. 
And I went in there and tried to answer questions to these guys. Guess what? Their questions are just like everybody else's questions. And one person, one person asked just a simple thing about how, do you, how then do you become a Christian? I mean, how hard do you have to work, you know, to be a Christian? What are the things you have to do, you know, effort-wise to be a Christian? I explained to him that the gospel is a matter of grace. It's work done for you on for you by Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, that he's done things for you you could not do for yourself, and so you receive this by faith. And I explained all that as simply like I was talking to, uh, 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 you know, an eight-year-old. I, I explained it just as simply as I possibly could. And when he came up to me afterwards, he said, thank you for sharing that. I guess he said, I'm just going to have to work harder to be a Christian, you know. <laughs> I thought, man, you know, I thought I said that the simplest possible way, but it just went right over his head. That always makes me a little excited to think that I talked to a scientist and it went over his head, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> just a funny experience in my life. But it's, it's so true. He's, not, he's an outsider. He's asked, throwing out a few questions, uh, curious about some things, but not an insider, not really seeking understanding that would transform his life. Do you get it? And I hope that has changed for him, but that's where it, was, where it was. But man, when you have an insider, when you have the good soil, in other words, wow, things happen that are amazing. I, I can, let me tell you about one friend of mine. His name is Bill. I used, to, I used to pastor a church in Orlando, Florida. And so I met Bill there. Bill was a quarterback for Navy. He, had, he was on the... Freshman, he was a freshman quarterback on the meat squad, you know. And he got drunk one night, and he went driving down the highway, and he lost control of his car. And he, he hit a telephone pole, and immediately he was paralyzed from the waist down. Been playing the University of Florida and so forth. Well, at any rate, here he is now, a paraplegic. He gets a stipend from the government to live on. He goes down to, Gaines, goes up to, Gainesville, or goes down to Gainesville, Florida. And he buys a bar, and he lives up above the bar. Several times, Bill tried to commit suicide, which is often, unfortunately, is what happens to people who uh, sometimes they have those temptations. And he tried it, but he was never successful. One day, he was so depressed, he, had, he just felt like he had to take his life. He couldn't live a moment longer. So he threw his legs over the bed, and he got into his wheelchair, and he wheeled his way over to the bathroom where there were some pills that he was going to take, and he was going to end his life. When he came up to the threshold of the door, into the bathroom, there was a bookshelf on the right side, and sitting on that bookshelf was a New Testament that he had carried around with him for years. It had been given to him by a girl during university days, and he'd never really looked at it. But for some reason, he was unable to throw it away, and he just kind of carried it along with his books through the years, never cared a thing about it. But that moment, he just felt compelled to reach over. He took that little New Testament down. He opened it up there in the threshold of the bathroom and began to read from the beginning of the New Testament. He got very curious about and hopeful that something was there. He wheeled back into his bed, got into his bed, and over the next two or three days, he read completely through the New Testament, seeking answers, drawing near. 
And he was starting his second time through the New Testament when he got to Matthew 9, where it said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he said, That's me. And he was converted. And when I met Bill, it was not long after that, he was reading through the Bible about every seven weeks. He had a voracious, he always has had from that day on a voracious appetite for the Bible. God had saved him, God had put him into, God had given him a desire to be in ministry and be a teacher. Uh, we took him on, he, he became, eventually became one of our elders and even lived within our church building, remodeled part of the church building, and married my pianist, of all things. And he became a teacher. He taught for years. I talked to him just this last week. Has had a huge impact on people. People have been converted through his ministry. Look at that. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. But that girl... That girl has no idea that throwing that gospel seed out there would have any impact on anybody. But God prepared the heart, and when it was time, gospel seed had an impact. The hunger was there. The soil was tilled up, ready to receive that seed. And he became an insider, right, drawing close to find out and to understand what it means to live in the kingdom. Wow. Let's look at the next one. So, you know, when we, when we take, this doesn't destroy our optimism when we think that we're rejected so many times. When you have results eventually that overcome all of the negative things that might happen when you throw the gospel out. And they do come, believe me. Right? But God just, Keeps, it, he increases your optimism. Look at the second parable. Chapter 4, verse 26. He said this, And the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. How? How? <laughs> you know, how? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. It just looks like the soil it just does it. And he doesn't understand how. And when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So what the Lord is doing here is compressing all the ages into one agricultural season. So he's not, he's not factoring in people dying at different times. He's not talking about individuals. He's talking about a crop. He's talking about some effect in a very general sense to seed being sown. And, and this is the parable of, I would say, the parable of the mystery of the kingdom. Just like a farmer doesn't... I know we understand more in terms of science in these days maybe than those people did about how... This works, but still a huge mystery, isn't it, to you? That there could be life in a dead seed, and it could spring up, and there could be a crop. It's just an amazing idea, isn't it, that that sort of thing would happen. So 
we don't really know how God's kingdom grows. And to me, this is a huge encouragement, actually, that the Lord is the one who's supervising things. He is doing what he does. We get to be part of that. We get to join into that. It's not like we're the end all end about the advance of the kingdom. Don't think that. He's got something going. And we get to participate and have some of the joys of watching it. We go to bed at night. He's almost painting the picture of just like this farmer doesn't do anything. <laughs> he just puts some seed out there and he just goes to bed at night and he gets up in the morning and there it is. There's a little something's growing and he just watches it. He doesn't know how it's growing. And before he knows it, he's got a whole crop and then the harvest time is there. He just. Do you see what the Lord is saying here? The kingdom of God, how the kingdom grows is a mystery. That's the point he's making. It helps us understand the gospel advance. The kingdom advance, the advance of the kingdom. We know seed is involved. We know there is soil. But that's not the main post. That's not the main point to try to figure that out. The main point is the growth of the kingdom is a mystery. Let me just tell you a little about my family in this respect. My, my family... We didn't have, we, we can trace back in our history, and we didn't have, to our knowledge, any real believers in our family on the LF side. That's my last name. We didn't have any real believers that we knew about many years ago in the 1800s. And uh, except one of our, my great-grandfather married a woman who either became or was a believer. She must have been Perhaps a relatively weak believer to have married an unbeliever, right? Maybe she wasn't very perceptive. A farm woman. They lived in Giles County, Tennessee. They made, uh, they, they made a trek over to Indian Territory in Oklahoma. And they bought some property and they started a farm. And they had a couple of kids. One of them died. There was a little girl. And this woman got, this woman got terribly sick. And on their, she wanted to go back to Tennessee. And so he sold his farm. They got on the train. As they were coming through Little Rock, Arkansas, just past Little Rock, she died on the train. We have the story. She died on the train. Before she died, according to this man, she pled with her husband to come to Jesus Christ and to rear their child in a Christian way. Well, they covered her up. They gave the daughter, the little daughter, to a woman who was kind enough to watch the child. He got on his knees, according to his story, and he prayed for a long time as the train was rumbling down its way toward Tennessee. He said, when I got up, I was a believer in Jesus Christ. That next Sunday, he was there with his daughter in his arms, giving the story that I just related to you. We have it written down. He'd written that down for us. Thankfully, he had done that. He eventually became a leader in the church, a deacon in that church. He married a Christian woman. He had my grandfather among several other children, half of which died. My grandfather's brother died right in bed next to him. Lots of people died back then in the 1800s. But he was called to preach And he had two children, a daughter who was a lovely Christian all her life, and my dad, who was also called to preach the gospel. 
And my dad married a Christian woman. My mother, and they had four children, and three of them are boys, and all three of us were called into the preaching and teaching ministry. And my sister married a, an evangelist, uh, and we've had our lives of serving the Lord, preaching the gospel. And then our children, there are several, almost all the men in some way or another are teaching or going to seminary or teaching in a seminary, men in the mission field in that next generation. And already the next generation, there are people beginning to just vocationally serve the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean everybody has to be in vocational ministry. My dad used to say, we're either going to help the world or ruin it one, you know. <laughs> but so many were. But here's the question I want to ask you. I'm, I'm talking about some of these. I'm just the little guy in this family, but some of these guys have preached uh, around the globe. They've been presidents of the Baptist Convention, two of them. You know, these are people, one of them, just the head of the International Mission Board for the Southern Baptist, a large mission organization. Regardless of what you think about all that, I'm just saying, these people have had a global impact. But do you think that little, you think that farm woman knew what was happening when she appealed to her husband? She had no idea what was going to happen. Throughout generations of time, she had no idea what was going to happen. You just don't know these things. Don't know what God's going to do. You teach, let's say you teach a little class of young kids and you've got a stubborn boy in there and he never listens to a thing you say. And you have him for a few weeks and then he leaves. And this is the only gospel impact he's had in his whole life. You know, he just began to come and you started investing a little bit, but you couldn't invest much because he was like a moving target. He's gone away. You never think about him again. You're sort of glad he's not in the class because it's so much easier now to teach the other guys. He goes off to college eventually, gets shafted by a girlfriend. He's feeling really low, but guess what comes to his mind? You know, that, that person used to say something about Jesus like this. And he remembers that. Maybe he remembers a little song. It's just enough. It's enough of a seed. It begins to sprout, and he's curious, and he's interested, and he draws in, and he tries to find somebody who can tell him more about this, and eventually he's converted to Jesus Christ. He marries a Christian girl. They have children. Raise them up in the Lord. Another generation goes by, children being raised up in the Lord and they're walking with God, maybe another generation goes by. One day, about four generations down the, down the line, one of those out of that family hears a missionary talk about needing to publish some books and put them in libraries and over, overseas places about this, maybe some very important figure in the history of Christianity. And Well, he says, I can do that, and he contributes to that, and and uh, that book is put there, it's put in a library somewhere off in Chad, let's say. You know, it's just somewhere, some desolate place out there in a dusty library where they try to train some guys. And he just sits there for the next 30 years. Nobody even, nobody even picks, pulls the book out of the shelf. And then 30 years into sitting there, somebody, some young student walks in there, picks that book up reads that book and is so radically transformed by the life of this person and their response to Scripture that God takes that young man and makes him the instrument by which a whole tribal group is reached for Christ. 
Do you, do you think that when you were teaching those little kids that you were doing global evangelization? Did you think that? Huh? But you were. You were. You just don't understand. The final parable is this. Look at this. It's very simple, but mysterious in a way. Verse 30. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we, represent, shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it, grow, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Hmm. So this parable, obviously, to us who are on the inside, who are seeking understanding, this parable means to us just a simple idea that the kingdom of God starts very, very small, and it gets very, very big. In fact, it could make a post mill out of you if you're not careful, because you can see that the plant, to hear the seed is the kingdom, right? Starting small and growing, the plant dominates all the other plants in the garden. Is that hopeful to you as you do your evangelism and spread the message of the gospel out there? Isn't that a hopeful idea to you? The kingdom of God is something that's alive and it grows, and it grows to be the biggest from very small beginning. What a hopeful and positive thought that is. So we don't have to be afraid or cowardly or sheepish when we speak concerning Christ. We're into something really big, into something huge that's going on. And it will not fail to be as Jesus described it. This is what the kingdom of God is like. People may not appreciate this now as you talk to them, but they will one day. They will understand that the kingdom of God was not, this growth of the kingdom is a reality and not to be questioned because Jesus proclaimed it. I want to end with this story and just a, a, a quick application and we're finished. This happened to my mother-in-law and father-in-law, Pam's, Pam's parents, in China. They were in China working. Uh, they did a lot of overseas mission-type work, and so they were in China. And a missionary visited them from Nanjing, China, where this had just happened. He said he was on his bicycle in a very crowded area, and he was riding down this big uh, broad boulevard sort of way, and he was going down the way. Everybody was on bicycles, obviously. And he heard somebody calling from over on the side, uh, 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 saying, hey, you, hey, you, in a Chinese way, hey, you. And uh, he, he, he realized eventually that the person was calling him, and he looked over there on the side, and sure enough, there was an old man and he was sitting on the curb, but he was calling out, trying to get his attention. Hey, you! Hey, you! Well, he, he stopped his bike, went over to him, and sat down beside him. And he, could, he was able to communicate with him in the language. And here's what the man said. Many years before, 
When I was a very young boy, a soldier told me about Jesus Christ. Can you tell me more? <laughs> wow, that's, the, that's like the good soil, you know? That's like the insider guy, you know, who's drawing near, wanting to have understanding. And he told him more, and the old man was converted to Christ. Isn't that a beautiful story? He said, can I talk to your family? And he said, oh, yes, I wish you would talk to my family. They were all led to Christ, that whole family. What a beautiful thing. And no telling now what else has happened, right, over these last few years. This is the way the kingdom works. And so at the end of the day, all of this, just let me just end with a couple of thoughts here. All of this should give you as a believer, if you are a believer, it should give you courage. It should give you optimism. Regardless of all the rejection of the gospel you've received. It should give you boldness. You're on the winning team. It should give you perseverance. And it should fill you and me with praise to God. Now this final application, I'm through. What if you were the crowd around Jesus? <laughs> where, where are you proximity-wise? Are you one on the outside having thoughts about Jesus, sort of judging the situation? Or are you one who is seeking answers, close up, seeking to gain understanding, hearing the soft voice of Jesus up close where he's talking to those who choose to draw near to him? Which are you? It has a whole lot to do with your eternity. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, how amazing it is to hear these parables and to know that they contain uh, great truths, though they are hidden to so many. Lord, I just pray that you would make applications that are personal and real to the people in this room. That you would embolden us, change us, those of us who are believers, into something more of a faithful um, teller of the good news, a faithful speaker about kingdom things, even if it's just to individuals, Lord. A faithful speaker, one who seeks understanding continually throughout our lives. Give us those marks of the insider, Lord, as we go through our life. And help us, help us, Lord, to speak out the things that we're learning from the Master Teacher for your glory. And Lord, I'm confident in this room of people, I know it is true that there are people here who have been sort of, in a surface way, interested, somewhat curious, perhaps, able to say a few things about you but not really good soil. 
not really inside where truth is being enlightening and transformative. And therefore, they just remain the same year after year after year after year. Lord, please reach that person even today. Help them to see uh, things differently because of this teaching today. We plead with you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.